and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. And I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, so whether you're watching for the first time or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on the show from a 21st century lens. Thanks for listening. Now, on to the episode. Season 5, Episode 7, Fool for Love. Another episode 7. Another great episode, in my opinion. Oh, it's it's just so good. I especially love the way it's shot. The way that they seamlessly weave the flashbacks into the action, the scenes between Spike and Buffy. Uh, it's so good. And the acting from Sarah Michelle Gellar and James Marsters. Yeah, kudos to the two of them. They do act very well together. James Marsters blows me away. I just think that the reason Spike is so popular, right? The reason this character, as complicated and messy as he is, he's popular and he resonates because James Marsters sells that shit. (laughs) Like, James Marsters really makes you feel for this character who, we're going to talk about it, is not a good guy, you know? You can feel bad for him, right? You can understand where he's coming from, and you can sympathize, and I think he's the reason. James Marsters is the reason we feel that way for the character. I don't know that I do. Sympathize? Indeed. <laughs> no, I agree with you. I, th- I say you could. <laughs> right. We're going to talk I, about yes, that. Yes, I agree with you. Yeah. Maybe other people would sympathize, but an interesting thing for me watching the show is I'm watching this episode, and I'm like, Oh, they're trying really hard to make us sympathize with Spike here, but there's there's a moment where I, I just I lose it. I'm just like can't I can't I'm sorry, dude. Yeah, and I'll talk about that when we get there. Oh, I'm so <laughs> excited! But yeah, that's why I was very careful with my words there because I was like, I too, uh, like he's just he's he's a problem. <laughs> this guy but i'm not taking away from people who do sympathize and i'm not taking away from people who really enjoy this episode because i do too it's a really good one um not just spike obviously because it's is this the first spike centric episode very close to one it yeah well that's a really good point that's the other thing i was going to get at when we talked about sympathizing is in many ways i feel like they try they make this episode more about spike than about buffy which i it's interesting i I don't really know how i feel about that yeah yeah it's the first spike centric episode that goes into his backstory right we learn a little bit more about him and i'll i'll point out just for completeness that this episode has a companion episode on angel that aired the same week or something where um without going into spoilers for those of you who haven't watched angel we may get there one day but some of the flashbacks from this episode are also featured in the Angel episode, which then continues on and kind of like gives us slightly different perspectives on what was going on in that era as well. Like there's some flashback sequences in the Angel episode that aren't in this one and vice versa. Um, so they kind of make this nice companion set. Um, and, and I think that's really cool. But yeah. we're, we're a ways off from reviewing that episode, so we won't get into those things. And I think somebody <laughs> had asked in the past whether we're going to cover 
uh, Darla, which is the name of that episode from Angel, because they are companion episodes. And I was actually tempted because only after I watched this episode, I was like, ooh, should I go watch Angel? Because I know that there are more, there's more pieces to the background story here. But yeah, not this time. I'm sorry, listeners. We'll get to it maybe one day. But uh, this will be another solo Buffy adventure for us. But thank you for mentioning my boyfriend, Angel. Cara, Angel with the long hair. <laughs> um, but no mustache. That's the crucial thing, right? The key. The key. It's not It's not Dawn. The key is the fact that Angel has no mustache. Um, but yeah, you, you and I love a vampire backstory. And this is Spikes. So that's another reason why I really like this episode. Yeah, there's just so much. So let's get into it. We've got a lot to say. Previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, William the Bloody earned his nickname by torturing his victims with railroad spikes. He fought two slayers in the last century and killed them both. Now he's chipped and he's building an obsession with Buffy. And at the same time, Buffy is learning more about the slayers this season and uh, how she can be stronger better, harder, faster. (laughs) So we open up on a cemetery. It's a very short opening, but that's because we got lots to get to in this episode. Buffy's fighting a vampire. Is he like from the 80s? Like he's got like that hair. So yeah, that was my first note was a couple episodes back. She was fighting a white boy gang biker vampire. And now she's fighting a big hair, like 80s vampire. And I'm like, what's with Buffy fighting all these kind of like subculture vampires? (laughs) Maybe it's the subculture subculture people that get attacked more often. If it's not Asians, it's going to be people who are really. I feel into like somebody. this one has been around for a while. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. She's being really sassy to him, talking about his odor. Uh, she does a bunch of flippy doos, and it looks like she's just in the in control. You notice how she's wearing much more practical attire for slaying these days? Yeah, because she's taking it seriously. She's right? really grown up from those days in season one and season two, where she was, you know, wearing the the cute little skirts and stuff. And we 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 were both kind of commenting on how we wear more practical slaying attire. <laughs> oh, I'll never forget. I believe it was uh, some assembly required where she was just sitting with her yo-yo and her gum in her little pink miniskirt, <laughs> her heels. But it's because she thought she was going to run into Angel, which she did. And then he picked a fight with her. So <laughs> take us back. Take us back to those days. So, um, oh, no, something happens and Buffy slips up and this vampire manages to stake Buffy with her own stake cut to credits so we cut back buffy's in shock we're in shock what the hell's going on the vampire quickly overpowers her she runs away and it looks like she's done for right she's really wounded she's bleeding from her stomach and then captain riley comes (laughs) to the rescue uh car i'm gonna admit something here i'm gonna admit something to you because i trust you and i i know you'll never judge me i like riley in this episode (laughs) Fuck off, Steph. Hey, you said you said you'd always be there. This for is me. a safe space, except for when we like Riley. I just really felt like having, you know, a nice plate of oats today. <laughs> well, for the record, Steph, I don't like Riley in this episode. So he's not in it that much, to be honest. He's like a little, like the B plot here. I don't know. I don't mind him. I don't care. I think he's I, interesting I, in this episode. You know, episode. I think it's great that he saves Buffy's life in this scene, and he yeah. takes care of her, and he patches her up yeah. using his medical, his combat training. Like, that's great. Yeah. It's a little embarrassing for Buffy, because she's just spent the last few episodes telling Riley she doesn't need him. Well, she says she needs him, but her mouth says she she doesn't need him, 
But her other mouth says she does need him. I'm, I'm very confused. What do you now. mean her mouth? Her sexual mouth? <laughs> like, like she, 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 her words say she needs him. Oh, her, her body says yeah, her, otherwise. I'm very confused. I don't know where I was going with that. Um, <laughs> she's giving Riley very mixed messages here. Okay. As well as we're, we're also getting ahead of ourselves, but yeah, Riley saves her here. Uh, good for him. She, there, we cut to Buffy's room in the morning, um, and Riley's patching her up, as you just said. He's a uh, you know put in peroxide and bandaging up her wound and then he tells her like maybe you should go see a real doctor and Muffy's like no because that would mean a real hospital which would get my real mom real freaked out and she's like you know don't worry I've got accelerating healing power it comes with a slayer package and the boyfriend who comes complete with combat medical training that's just a Buffy Summers bonus (laughs) so here's my first thought about Riley and Ruffy in this episode For the people out there in season four who are saying, you know what, they're actually pretty well matched just in that, you know, he's not undead. He can grow old with her and give her sex and all this stuff. But he also has this military background and he does know about demons and he also kills them. So in this way, I see him being a balance for her, right? Because he is here to address her wound and show her sympathy and ask her if she's okay. And I think that's a good thing. Um, he asks who the bad guys are, right? Who are they? How many? And Buffy says one vampire. And Riley's like, okay, like a super vampire? And she's like, uh, just the regular kind. He just beat me. And Riley's like, has that ever happened before? And he's like, he seems worried. And she's like, no, I'm in the best physical shape of my life. And then Dawn just runs in. Dawn just runs into the room. And she's like, oh, sorry for interrupting the sex- sexcapade, but, uh, mom's coming. <laughs> this is so funny so joyce does indeed come in says hi to riley riley is like trying to strategically or um subtly put the medical kit away um but joyce like why bother joyce is not gonna notice that stuff she's way too baked because she's just like hi i'm gonna be obnoxious tomorrow like she says i didn't even write it down it's just a bunch of nonsense <laughs> and what she wants to do is discuss the grocery list with buffy next week and i was like why is that like a normal thing to discuss with somebody or she had the munchies well i feel like this is a sign of the extra responsibilities that buffy has taken on because of her mom's illness right okay 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 yeah like i said like buffy goes shopping does the shopping at home now Mm -hmm. and then she's like are you disinfecting something because she sees the the bottle (laughs) of uh... no we were just having sex mom it's fine we were just putting away the lube (laughs) And Dawn, it's Dawn that saves the day. She says, that's mine. Some nail polish experiments are doomed even before they begin. And Joyce is like, you keep pushing the envelope, honey, and leaves. Dawn says, did I just pull a Slayer-related mom cover-up thing? Who's the man? Who's the man? And Buffy says, you are a very short, annoying man. And I was like, careful there, Buffy. Careful. You're the shortest person on the show (laughs) besides Oz. (laughs) Is Buffy shorter than Dawn? Uh, Maybe not right now, but like Sarah Michelle Gellar is like 5'2". So right. no doubt she does. She does look very short compared to some people in the show. <laughs> You're right. I try not to comment on those things because as a tall witch, I always feel bad when I call people shorties because it feels like I'm rubbing it in. You are. So you're a terrible person. Let's move on. <laughs> Thank you for confirming my suspicions. <laughs> so that's just payback for not supporting my roughy, <laughs> my pro roughy stance. I am regretting it already. <laughs> are we going to be enemies by the end of this episode? ever interesting we aren't already (laughs) yeah we don't already hate each other it's like a a working relationship only um okay so buffy actually does acknowledge though like yeah don actually did save us from having another like one small conversation explaining to joyce about stuff so she she throws her a bone she's like you want to see my wound 
and then she shows her and Don is like, cool. I mean, gross. And Buffy says, mom can't know, so will you help me with the household stuff? And Dawn is sarcastic at first, but then she says, yeah, you're covered. We're good. Uh, she's like, lucky it's not bikini season. And it's sweet, right? Buffy, like, touches her <laughs> hair because they they get along now. They're sisters. They're sisters. They're yeah. Sisters. And Dawn is always being here. <laughs> and Dawn, well, being mean, they've lived their whole lives together. It's nice to see them get along. Riley says, well, Dawn will take household duties. I'll take patrol tonight. And Buffy's like, by yourself? And Riley's like, it's just a sweep. And Buffy says, do me a favor, take the gang along. And Riley agrees, right? He's just like, yep, I'll patrol with the group tonight. And Don's like, when can I patrol? And Buffy says, not until you're never. <laughs> so we cut to the cemetery. And I just want to point out, it's very interesting to me. So Riley is patrolling. He's dressed, you know, stealthy army combat gear that he's apparently allowed to keep. Or I guess he went to a military surplus store. I know they're all over the States. And we've got Willow. Xander and Anya there. It's hilarious, yeah. It's so good. (laughs) My question is, where's Tara? Because, so Anya gets to be part of the gang, but after the last episode where everybody stood up for Tara, she's still not part of the gang? What's going on? Yeah, I agree. Maybe family should have been about Anya's, you know, recruitment (laughs) into the group. And I'm not not knocking Anya being there. It's (laughs) it's interesting to me that Anya has now become the gang. Just that's the assumption. Mm-hmm. But Tara's not there yet. Uh, I guess Joss Whedon just really didn't want to pay Amber Benson full time salary, right? So like, we'll have you on mm. for like you know twelve episodes out of the twenty two. So mm. this is one where you're off. So Riley is being stealthy, and meanwhile, Willer, Willow, Xander, and Anya are behind him, eating from a giant bag of <laughs> chips. I love this. It's so funny. This is hilarious. It's good, yeah. Um, So Riley makes a hand signal because, you know, the people in the armed forces, especially the stealthy kind, get trained to do all sorts of hand signals to communicate. (laughs) And Xander doesn't know what the hand signal means, which, weren't you Mr. Army guy? Oh, true. Xander, didn't you remember those things? True. Mm. So I thought that was interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So so he doesn't know what it means. And Willow's like, oh, it's code for (laughs) choo-choo. And Anya says, oh, it probably means to follow him. That or wait here for him. (laughs) So Xander decides to get clarification. He shouts across the empty graveyard at night. Hey, Riley, what's the... And then he makes the hand movement all about. (laughs) And Riley looks back at them and you can see the expression on his face. He's so annoyed. He's so annoyed with them. (laughs) And he says, it means yell real real bad so the vampires who don't know we're coming will have a sporting chance. (laughs) And Xander says, well, now he's mad and sarcastic. Um, And they start bickering. So Riley's like, okay, let's just split up. He says, I'll take the cemetery. You guys take the bronze. (laughs) Could it be more obvious? And the Scoobies pick up on this. And Willow's like, oh, I'm sorry that we're not being sneakier. And Riley's like... Okay, you can stay, but ditch the chips and watch my back. So Willow goes to put the bag of chips, I guess, aside, just leaves them out there. But before she does, she takes like the world's largest <laughs> handful of chips and continues munching them. I laughed out loud because they're that literally that is like the most realistic thing I've ever seen on the show. Because it's obviously it's like, yeah, yeah, I'll put it away, no problem. But you have to take that last handful. <laughs> Sells it. The physical comedy on this show, so right? Funny, I love yeah. it. <laughs> um, 
Riley continues to like advance in front of them and he's like ducking and weaving behind the different gravestones. He's basically like a video game character in a shooter game where it's like you're taking cover behind various objects before you yeah. uh, assault the enemy. He's being extra, like super extra. Yeah. yeah. And so Xander's kind of like watching him and he's like, he looks like a cat, like a big jungle cat. Why can't I be that cool? Okay. You notice that um, what my thought with this was um, he used to do that with Oz, right? Like, Oz, what makes you so cool? Right. Like, wondering about that. And I, I, there's more than one time where I thought about Jesse in this episode, and I'll tell you why. But this is the first mm. time where I was like, I bet if Jesse lived, I bet if they had just let him be a series regular, he probably would have ended up being a cool person because he actually was pretty good looking. And I can see Xander doing the same thing, right? Like, what makes Jesse cooler than me? So, like, like just Xander does this with his guy friends. He's always comparing himself. It's true. Um, and I, I have to give Xander a little pep talk here. Xander, you're cool. Uh, you know carpentry now. <laughs> I don't know how you figured it out so fast, but you know it. Xander, so good job. Think about your craft that you've been honing for years and years. <laughs> you can plane things and auger things and... Join things. I can't do any of that. Yeah, don't don't undersell yourself, Xander. <laughs> All right, so uh, we, we will come back to what's going on because this, this whole episode takes place over you know kind of this whole night. We'll come back to the gang, uh, but meanwhile, what's going on with Buffy and Giles? Well, they're, they're in the magic shop and they're studying up on the old Watcher diaries. Hopefully, Giles didn't let Buffy read his. <laughs> <laughs> Not that she would need to, but Buffy is pointing out that all the Watcher's diaries, which obviously, as we know, recount the Slayer journeys throughout history, they all say the same thing. Slayer called, blah, blah, great protector, blah, blah, scary battles, blah, blah, oops, she's dead. <laughs> Where are the details? And Giles is like, this Slayer forged her own weapons. And Buffy's like, yep, I admire a girl with an anvil, but where are the details of the Slayer's last battle? What made that fight special? Why did she lose? And Buffy is telling Giles, you know, I came really close last night. She slipped up and she's been training harder than ever. But still, nothing in these books help her understand why. And she realizes that every Slayer comes with an expiry with an expiration date on the package. I want mine to be a long time from now, like a Cheeto. <laughs> She says, she says, if there are a few good descriptions of what happened to the other Slayers, maybe I can keep it from happening again. So I really like this scene. Something that you and I have talked about literally since season one and since she died in Prophecy Girl and all of the trauma that came with that into season two, three and four. We don't get her outright talking about this as often as I think we would like, but you and I always know it's in the subtext of what she's thinking, right? When in season four, when she got together with Riley in a lot of the ways that she describes her job as a life and death situation. So it's always been in the back of her mind that she might die, but I really love that she's opening up about it here and that she's trying to do something about it. She's like, you know what? I really don't want to die young again. Yeah, she's clearly rattled, which I think, you know, is notable. And, and maybe the fight that she had a couple episodes ago with the mysterious woman in red has also kind of reminded her that, you know, there are things out there that can really hurt her. I also wonder if some of it has to do with Dawn, because before, like with Proxy Girl, Buffy's objection to dying young was, well, I, I've got my whole life ahead of me, right? I, I don't want to die young. To totally makes sense. In the intervening years, she's accepted that she's the Slayer, and she's accepted that, you know, her role as a Slayer is to fight evil, and one day die. Um, 
But I think that having Dawn with her this season and having that weight of all that lifetime of memories of her younger sister, having to take care of her sister has maybe shifted her perspective a little bit because now it's not just her, right? Before, if Buffy had died, obviously her mom would have been upset, but that's that's just Buffy dying. Um, now it's, well, if Buffy dies, not only will her mom be upset, but you know who's going to help her mom take care of Don, right? Because mm-hmm. Hank's not going to come back. He's busy sleeping with the secretary. <laughs> Fucking Hank. Um, also, like, who's going to protect Don? Because she's the target this mm-hmm. season, right? So for sure, I agree. So I really like that. Here we have her talking about like I'm. A, I, I thought I, <laughs> I. I'm like a Cheeto. I'm gonna get eaten one day, but I don't want it to I, be I for a long time. I too would like to be, you know, <laughs> have a long expiry, expiry date at a stable shelf life. <laughs> And be a delicious treat once you're enjoyed. <laughs> I am a snack. Yes, it's true. Mm. So Giles says the problem is that after a battle, it's difficult to get uh, any uh, the Slayers. Rather, uh, and Buffy's like, you can use the D word, Giles. And Giles says, well, dead. So hence, not very forthcoming. Buffy asks, why do the Watchers not further the accounts? The journals just stop. And Giles is like, if they're anything like me, they found the whole subject to... And Buffy says, unseemly? Damn, I love ya, but you Watchers are such prigs sometimes. She didn't say prick, she said prigs. And Giles says, painful, I was going to say. And they have a moment where they look at each other, where Giles... I mean, you just mentioned that piece of shit, Hank. Giles is again acknowledging, like, if you die... I'll be destroyed. Um, and we already knew that from season one. He was going to take her place. Because he's her dad. It, it's a very heartwarming scene in many ways. And again, it's the acting. Like, Giles is not a huge part of this episode, but the part of it he is in, the chemistry between Sarah Michelle Geller and Tony Head is just, you can really tell that they're so good at acting against each other. And, and I love this scene. Well, and the trust, right? The trust between the two, it's all there. And Buffy doesn't see her friends this episode, right? Um, she's not telling them, I got seriously hurt last night, I'm worried. She tells dad. And that's that's something that's been carrying on since episode one of this season. Uh, Giles is saying, like, you're right, accounts of the final battles would be very helpful, but there's no one left to tell a tale. And that's when Buffy gets an idea. And we cut to Spike's crypt where she's slamming Spike against a wall. And he's like, ow, wait. Not Al. Are you feeling all right, Slayer? This stuff usually hurts. And <laughs> again, like Spike likes when Buffy manhandles him. You can tell he's like disappointed that it doesn't hurt. And he says, what do you want? Buffy says, Slayers, you killed two of them. He says, I did. And Buffy says, you're going to show me how. Ooh. So we cut to the bronze where <sighs> I don't know what is going on this season. Buffy is not 21, but she's here. Looks like she's having like a blue solo cup drink with spike well but are the blue ones the non-alcoholic drinks is that how they keep track no because in the family remember they're all drinking those drinks and don was like alcohol is for losers or something and they're like oh because they're drinking but i'd be like underage mm. drinking is what she's doing i thought we learned that was bad in beer bad right so buffy like did you just forget that you were turned into that cave woman <laughs> that one time we didn't so Buffy wants um, him to tell her about how he killed the two Slayers. She says one in China during the Boxer Rebellion, one in New York. Both got killed by you. Tell me the tale and I'll get you your cash. Like she 
she has the money that she's going to give him. And I was like, it's a really good thing that Buffy moved home this semester because she's out here ripping wads of cash in half <laughs> in that one episode. And she's bribing Spike willy nilly this season. Like she's got all this extra money laying around. So it must be because she gave up her dorm room. So Spike says, you want to learn all about how I best the Slayers and you want to learn fast. What do you want? A quick demo? A blow by blow description you can map out and memorize? It's not about the moves, love. And then he demands that she get him barbecue wings. <laughs> and Cara, remember my theory that vampires that eat human food poop more. <laughs> no. So my head's fun. Thought we were past this. No, we're not because he keeps ordering spicy wings. So my question is, does the crypt that he finds, like when he has his crypt, does it come with plumbing? Does it come with a toilet? Because it, it must. It does not. You know it doesn't. <laughs> then, so stop eating human food, Spike. <laughs> it's creating problems for yourself. So Buffy's annoyed, right? And she starts to wave down the waitress, but of course that aggravates her wound and Spike notices. And he says, ah, just as I thought, some nasty thing got a taste of you. And Buffy's like, don't get excited. I'm fine. And Spike says, sitting in a dark corner with a creature you loathe, digging up past uglies because you're fine. He says, <laughs> he's like, no one's narrating on an empty stomach here. So Buffy says, were you born this big a pain in the ass? And Spike says, what can I tell you, baby? I've always been bad. <laughs> I love this segue. I love it so much because we cut to London 1880 in our first flashback of the episode. There is human Spike, who we'll call William in these scenes. And he has his hair, his blonde bleached hair is gone. It's like um light brown parted in the middle. It looks really weird on him. Effulgent. Effulgent. And he's sitting in a corner of a party writing poetry. And he's like, luminous, radiant. And a waiter comes and offers him some whore's divorce. And he's like, what's another word for gleaming? It's a perfectly perfect word as many as many words go. But the problem is nothing rhymes, you see. And the waiter's like, shut up. And leaves. Um, the fuck? Seeming? Dreaming? <laughs> he's a terrible poet. He really is. Screaming? William looks up and he notices there's a woman at the party who he calls Cecily. So right off the bat, like clearly, you know, when Spike was human... He was part of the more privileged, wealthy class, just judging from the, that, the fact that he's at a party that's being waitered, that he has these clothes that he's wearing, um, and the fact that perhaps, because we'll find out soon that his peers all know that he's a poet, a bad poet, but he's a poet. So clearly he doesn't have to really work. He must be living off family money. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Cecily is standing with a group of people. So William walks over and they're all talking about the rash of disappearances sweeping through town and a man says ah William favor us with your opinion animals or thieves like whoever's taking these people and Williams is like I prefer not to think about such dark ugly businesses at all that's what the police are for and he looks at Cecily who looks perplexed that he's now joined the group and he says I prefer placing my energies into creating things of beauty so the man grabs this piece of paper that William is holding and he's like don't withhold William and William's like oh careful the ink's still wet <laughs> um and the man is like don't be shy and he starts to read the poem out loud and it goes my heart expands tis grown a bulge in it inspired by your beauty effulgent 
<laughs> and then he goes, Effulgent, and the crowd just laughs because it's a terrible poem. And Cecily runs away in embarrassment. William grabs the paper from the guy and starts to walk away. And as he's walking away, he hears the man say, um, um, that's actually one of his better compositions. And there's a woman there and she's like, have you heard? They call him William the Bloody because of his bloody awful poetry. And the man is like, it suits him. I'd rather have a railroad spike through my head than listen to that awful stuff. So, whoa, careful what you wish for. And I think, Car, like you and I have said before, like sometimes Spike tells stories and we're like, I don't know if I believe him. Like, remember, he's like, Dracula is my like number one arch nemesis. And we were like, <laughs> I don't know about that. And it's it's because like Spike is an unreliable narrator. He's been spinning the tale that his name's William the Bloody because of how violent his history is. But really, now we're learning that it came from when he was human because he's just a really terrible poet. Well, maybe maybe it's both. Maybe he did drive some railroad spikes through people's heads. Maybe he got this guy. I think it's um, this guy, yeah, is what I think. <laughs> but you bring up a good point, which is, so with these flashbacks, are we seeing what, quote unquote, actually transpired? Or are we seeing what the events as Spike's telling them to Buffy, which... I think that's what's happening later during the, the fight sequences with the, the two Slayers. But I would argue that in this flashback sequence, we're seeing events as they actually happen. I don't think he's telling this part to Buffy as much. I think this is just background for us. And then when we get into the fight sequence, that's really where like he's telling her and maybe misrepresenting some of what's going on yeah because he's at a bar with buffy and or the bronze with buffy and you could see a parallel there that he might think of it as like a date mm. you know because he's like where they're drinking together he's got her alone in a dark I, corner I didn't think of that because i don't go on dates so thank <laughs> you for bringing that up because uh, the moment you said that, I'm like, yes, that makes sense. Oh, my God. That's so twisted yeah. and totally Spike. Well, it's totally Spike. And that's why I'm like, I hesitate to use the word date because it's obviously not consensual. Buffy is there on business. <laughs> um, but Spike is treating it like a date, as in like, here we are in drinks. He already mentioned they're alone in a corner together. He's trying She's to get food. Wings. Yeah, yeah, he's trying to get some wings. Um, and then they play pool. Like, I've been on a date like that before. Did you, know, like, did it's, you tell uh, people about the time that everybody criticized your poetry and then you became a Empire? yeah i did and he never called back <laughs> <laughs> well then uh he's not good enough for you steph i know well i moved on to a much better man <laughs> who builds shelves <laughs> but but think about it this way right like he um on a first date you tell your story right so he's gone all the like she's like i want to hear about the slayers he's like let me tell you about when i got bit <laughs> you know like let me go all the way back to 1880 for some reason so i think he is telling buffy pieces of this story like, i i agree yeah i agree he's telling yeah. her but like i don't think uh, i think what we're seeing as the viewer is kind of quote unquote the actual events right yeah. from an initial narrator's point of view um, whereas I think later on in the episode, we're seeing, because it kind of cuts back and forth. And at mm -hmm. that point, I think we're seeing what Spike wants us to see. But I think it's it's hard, too, because there's no way. Spike just said, I've always been bad. And then we we get this story. So there's no way he's telling her like what Cecily tells him later. Agreed. But then the fact that Buffy says what Cecily, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting ahead of myself. But like this is why we got to be Spike's a trickster. We got to be careful because we don't know what's what's real or not real. But you're right. I think this is real for us as an audience member. Like thanks creators because like we want to know accurate, accurate. Yes, but what Spike is telling Buffy could be something completely different, and we're not going to know. 
William finds Cecily sitting by herself. She's literally like had to like leave the party because his poem was so bad. <laughs> and she's like, leave me alone. And he doesn't. He sits and he says, they're vulgarians. They're not like you and me. And she's like, you and I. Like, I'm sorry. I love Cecily. <laughs> she's like, you right, and so I. I was going to ask, like, is Cecily actually effulgent? Like, is she worth all this love poetry? Wait, I, what does effulgent mean? It means luminous or radiant. Oh, luminous or radiant are much better words. Like you said earlier, like that's fine to you, Spike or William. Yeah, she's lovely. I think, hey, do I think she's worth poetry? I don't know her well enough. I don't think so. However, I just think that she, like, I just love how blunt she is with him right here. Because she says, you and I, I'm going to ask you a very personal question and I demand an honest answer. Do you understand your poetry? They're not written about me, are they? And William's like, they're about how I feel. (laughs) And she says, yes, but are they about me? And he says, every syllable. And she's like, oh, God. (laughs) And he says, I know it's sudden. And please, if they're no good, they're only words. But the feeling behind them, I love you, Cecily. And she's like, please stop. And she turns away from him. Like her body language is like, shut the fuck up. And she turns and he says, I know I'm a bad poet. But I'm a good man. All I ask is that you try to see me. And she says, I do see you. That's the problem. You're nothing to me, William. She stands up and she looks down on him and she says, you're beneath me. And she walks away and he looks shaken. So, (sighs) so lots of thoughts thoughts here. Lots of thoughts. So, Again, this is where I say, like, you could have sympathy for this man in this situation. He got bullied by his peers. And then this girl that he says he loves, that he writes his poetry for, his muse, you might say, rejects him. And that's hard. So I think you could feel bad for him here. I don't. (laughs) I think I said earlier I had other parallels to Jesse from episode one and two. This is one of them. Mm. This is one of them. You and I came down so hard on Jesse, who was a teenage boy in 1997, for stalking Cordelia and getting in Cordelia's face when she clearly doesn't want him to. She calls him my stalker. She says, this guy won't leave me alone, and he's all up in her business. And that, to you and I at the time when we were talking about it, we were like, yeah, fuck off. She's not interested. And Cecily's giving me the same vibes here, right? She says, leave me alone. He doesn't. Her body language is screaming, get away from me. He goes on. She literally turns her back to him when he tells her, I love you. She's like, oh my God. Like, and she turns around and he's still there. So that's on you, William. That's on you. I couldn't agree more. I don't feel sympathy for William in this moment. A Margaret Atwood quote comes to mind. Men are afraid that women will laugh at them. Women are afraid that men will murder them. And and that that is literally what we're seeing here, especially when it comes full circle at the end of the episode, and we'll get there. Um, you know, the the way that this episode is portraying it, this is the worst thing in the world that could happen to William. Oh my god, <laughs> this woman has rejected him. And like the look on his face, right, is like this is the end of everything as I know it. And mm-hmm. he wanders out from the party and we, we're going to see what happens next in a moment. 
And I, I wish I could be sympathetic. And, and yeah, was Cecily being unkind to him? Yes, but that that's life. People are going to be mean to you sometimes. And, but at that moment, right, all I can think about is how the show portraying this, portraying young Spike in this way during the time that this is set in 2000, telling like young male viewers that it's okay to feel shafted when a woman rejects you and it is the end of the world. And it's like, I, I don't like that because as you pointed out, Steph, she she has done everything right here. What else is she supposed to do? Because this is the problem is, and I guess I'm just ranting at, you know, uh, presumably like some of our straight cis male listeners, I guess, um, who don't already know this. Like women try to let men down gently. Like we are, we're programmed from a young age to tiptoe and walk around on eggshells, right? Like we try. That's the first thing we do is we try to let men down gently. And if that's not working, then we escalate, which is, as you pointed out, what Cecily was doing here. So it's like, if a woman is being very blatant with you in this way, you've really pushed past some boundaries already. Um, (laughs) And and it just, it's not, yeah, I just, I can't. Like read the room she wasn't she didn't want to be near you at that party at all like literally when he joined the circle she was like oh my god here he is again not only is it embarrassing me in front of everybody but like i so like it couldn't be more clear i'm not interested yet here he is so yeah so we don't feel bad for him here i will say though that this scene is doing a great job of establishing his character, right? True. Establishing Spike and who he yeah, is. Yeah, I, I think we should be clear. We, we said at the top of the episode, right? Like, we loved this episode. Mm-hmm. Yes, the writing, the storytelling here, the establishment of Spike's character as a misogynist is excellent. Um, I just, I wish there had been another layer on this scene so that it felt less like Joss Whedon kind of manifesting his own <laughs> feelings about being rejected about women, yep. right? Because we have to remember that Joss Whedon is a nerd. We talked about this on Joss Whedon on Trial. Like, he is one of the people responsible for making nerds cool in this era because of Buffy um, and later on his participation in projects like The Avengers. You know, he really rode that wave. And here he is being like, you know, William is the nerd of his day, right? And he's like, oh, girls are rejecting me. And I feel like this is Joss Whedon being like, oh, girls are rejecting me. I'm going to get my revenge. Well, and let's, again, I bring up Jesse, and I don't think I'm incorrect in making this parallel because what did Jesse do after Cordelia rejected him? He went into the arms of Darla, right into a vampire's arms, and that's exactly what happens to William here. That is that is exactly what happens to all men who get rejected <laughs> by women, yes. They find a, a demon that then <laughs> sucks their soul out. Uh, but more importantly... Um, this episode's called Fool for Love, right? Um, and we're establishing that Spike is a hopeless romantic while well, he was in his human life. So he doesn't care what his peers think about him. He calls them vulgarians. Uh, he doesn't seem to mind being publicly humiliated by his peers at all. But what he does mind is if the woman he desires doesn't want him. So that's what we're establishing here. It's incel vibes. So we cut to William crying and ripping up his poetry in the streets. He knocks into this bulking figure, this this manly man. We don't see his face but I get a vibe that this person is incredibly handsome. And two women are with him. We don't see the faces, though. 
So um, he he's like, watch where you're going. He's like having a tantrum and he runs into an alleyway and he's crying on a haystack. And oh, poor, poor William. Drusilla is there. Drusilla is like, um, what possible catastrophe came crashing down from heaven and brought this dashing stranger to tears? And Spike's like, nothing. I wish to be left alone. Well, William, isn't that funny? Because Cecily wanted to be left alone, too. Drusilla says, I see you, a man surrounded by fools who cannot see his strength, his vision, his glory. That and burning baby fish swimming all around your head. And uh, William stands up and he's like, I've heard tales of London pickpockets. You'll not be getting my purse, I'll tell you. <laughs> and Drusilla, Drusilla says, your wealth lies here and here. And she's pointing at his heart and his brain. And then she says, in your spirit and... And I assume she touches his dick here because of the way his face goes. <laughs> And she says, your imagination. You walk in worlds the others can't begin to imagine. And William is getting his ego and his dick stroked. So he's like, yes. I mean, no. <laughs> Do not need that interpretation. Thank you. <laughs> he's like, mother's expecting me. <laughs> so Drusilla says, I see what you want. Something glowing and glistening. Something effulgent. And he says, effulgent, my favorite word. And she says... <laughs> do you want it and he says oh yes god yes so she vamps out and he watches that right he stares at her and then she slowly starts to bite his neck and he's like ow 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 and he starts like freaking out it, it is the opposite of sexy right this is yeah. not sexy bite sex no. right I, we are rating the bite sex now as sexy or not sexy and i yeah. think i'm confident in saying this is not sexy <laughs> i think yeah when when darla bit uh, angel and turned him. He was very silent about it. <laughs> but Spike's like, owie, ow, ow. <laughs> but then you can tell that as he starts to pass out because she's draining him, it's almost like he starts to enjoy it a little bit. So so this scene is very fascinating. So, so now we know Drusilla sired him. Uh, well, sorry, we already knew that, but we see it. And my question to you is, do we think that Drusilla was drawn to Spike because she saw his potential or his destiny was she attracted to him right away or as i suspect she was just kind of on the hunt i think she was his number one fan because if his poetry is bad to people who aren't kind of like you know a little bit scrambled <laughs> then it's good to people like drusilla she's like i also like effulgent <laughs> and rhyme it with things <laughs> right she's like this is the best poetry i've ever heard <laughs> Does it make sense to her? If she was like, my heart too has a bulge in it. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I like that. But I do think, I think some people would be like, oh, they were meant to be like, whatever. Like she saw the destiny that Spike the vampire was going to be. But I'm also kind of like, I don't know. She could have just been hungry and on the hunt. He's clearly weaker than her, right? And he's obviously very sensitive. He's a poet because... She knows that he likes the word effulgent and he's crying on a haystack by himself. It would be very easy for her to not only feed off him and sire him, but dominate over him, right? She already has somebody who dominates over her, and that's Angelus. So Spike might be something where he's more convenient and easy for her. I don't know. What do you think? No, I, I agree with you. I think that's a good way of looking at it. We also know, just based on his interaction with Cecily, that um, William, a.k.a. Spike will probably now have a reason to prove himself, right? He was really badly rejected by that 
awful woman, that mean woman. He wakes up as a vampire and he's like, all right, where's the nearest railroad? <laughs> and that's what I think happened to the man that was bullying him. I'll show you a fulgence. I'll fold you all night. I'll fulge all over. <laughs> I'll fold till the sun comes up. Um. So, so, so we do return to the Scoobies. I, I promise this. We're not going to leave you hanging. They're in the cemetery still. Uh, and they finally find the 80s vampire <laughs> with big hair. And he goes into a crypt and he's meeting up with his buddies. I don't know. Maybe they just have like a book club. He could be minding his own business. He kind of looks like Logos, right? <laughs> I was just like, I'm getting Logos vibes off this. You're I mean, right. he was fighting Buffy, but he might have been minding his own business. And I hear Buffy's giving vampires a pass these days. So <laughs> well, I, it's true. Um, could this also be the book club that Joyce was heading out to the other day? <laughs> oh, supernatural book club. Um, so, so they kind of like peek inside. You know, they're looking and they're seeing the vamps hanging out. Um, and he goes back to the rest of them and he's like, oh, there's too many of them in there. So he lays out the plan. He says, we'll come back at daybreak when they're asleep and we're better armed. It's okay. We can kill them just as dead in the morning. <laughs> Great plan. <laughs> wait, 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 Riley being sensible? <laughs> he was a captain of his soldier team or something. Remember? He used to be a hardcore leader. That's, that's fair. Well, <laughs> how far <laughs> they've fallen. As I said, I don't mind Riley in this episode, so good on you, Riley. At the bronze, Spike is playing pool now, and Buffy's like, okay, so you traded up on the food chain. Then what? And Spike's like, well, don't make it sound like something you can flip past on the Discovery Channel. Becoming a vampire is a profound and powerful experience. I could feel this new strength coursing through me. Getting killed made me feel alive for the very first time. So he lights a cigarette and he's like, I was through living with society rules. I decided to make a few of my own. In order to do that, I had to get myself a gang. <laughs> so Yorkshire, 1880. So this is clearly like within the first couple of months of him being a vampire. Angelus is there. Hey, it's Angel. Oh my gosh. And he's choking Spike when he's got his bad Irish accent and his long hair is back. And he's saying, perhaps it's my advancing years that make me for so forgetful, William. But remind me, why don't we kill you? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Angelus. We've been saying Asking the question we've been asking the past several episodes. <laughs> Thank you. Drusilla and Darla are watching and Spike says, it's Spike now. <laughs> you do well to remember it. Mate and Angelus is like, I'm not your mate. And when did you start talking like that? And Darla says, we barely got out of London alive because of you. Everywhere we go, it's the same story. And now, and Angelus is saying, you've got me and my women, Ooh, my women, hiding in the luxury of a mine shaft, all because William the Bloody likes the attention. Angelus is saying, this is not a reputation we need. Spike says, oh, sorry, did I sell you our good name? We're vampires. And Spike is saying that he, like, prefers a brawl, right? He doesn't like the way that older vampires do things. And Angelus is like, every time that you start a brawl, like, we become the hunted. And Darla says, oh, I think our boys are going to fight. And Drusilla are, like, really excited about it. And Spike says, you know what I prefer to being hunted? Getting caught. He asks Angelus when the last time he unleashed it was. An all-out fighting in a mob. Back against the mob. Nothing but fists and fangs. Don't you ever get tired of flight of fights when you know you're going to win? And Angelus says, no. <laughs> no. A real kill. A good kill. It takes pure artistry. Without that, we're just animals. And Spike calls him a poofter, which I think is a homophobic slur. Yes. Just based on the way he said it. Um but look at this. Look at this. Are, are these two boys um, fighting? And they have just very different approaches to being 
psychopathic serial killers, you know? <laughs> like, we know yeah. that Angelus is, like, all about the art of the kill, right? Uh, he drove Drusilla insane for, what, like, months before he actually killed her? He, yeah, he he's all about that delayed satisfaction, mm-hmm. right? He's like, you know what? I, I It's going to be sweeter if I just drive her insane first. It's like... Okay, my dude. Um, okay, Vakar, you know what I hear when you say that? He likes to make it last. <laughs> That's what I'm <yeah>. hearing. <laughs> but in, in a sexual way is what I'm saying. <laughs> sure. He's not, he's, not, he's not like Spike in and out. He's going to make it last for you all night. Oh. There we go. There it is. <laughs> Meow. Whereas Spike oh. is, is confirming that he is just in it. To stir up some chaos, get a fight, and leave. Spike is a brawler, right? Yeah. He likes the adrenaline rush of being in the fight, whereas Angel, or Angelus, I should say, derives satisfaction from the technical precision of the kill, right? And, and you know, Angelus is all about enjoying and savoring the hunt and the the diversity of what he experiences in his life as a vampire his undead life uh and it seems like spike is more about the, the feeling uh yeah the the blood rushing through his veins as he feeds and the the sensation of being off balance you know he's a bit more of a thrill seeker and, and you're absolutely right i think this is a very revealing scene that helps us further understand the difference between these two important vampires. That's why I find funny that everyone's that you and I have said in the past too that like Spike as the poet kind of has this like artistry to him, but really, Angelus has proven that he's more of an artist in that way. If you want to look at it like in a really twisted, weird serial killer way, which I do, um, Angelus breaks the shovel in half. He's had enough of this man, and he's about to stake Spike while the, as the girls watch. And Spike's like, now you're getting it. And Angel just says, you can't keep this up forever. If I can't teach you, maybe somebody, an angry crowd will. That or the Slayer. And Spike says, what's a Slayer? So, <laughs> so again, um, we're noticing here the obsession begins with Slayers, right? Spike right now is thinking that he's in love with Buffy. But we've talked about vampire love before um i have come around to seeing it as obsession like very toxic obsession and Mm -hmm. this obsession with buffy that spike is currently feeling which is like got this sexual nature to it i wonder if it's muddled in there with his obsession with slayers which we've known since day one that spike has an obsession with, with slayers he literally came to sunnydale seeking buffy out not knowing who she is but knowing that there was a slayer that he could come and brawl with, right? Yeah. This is the beginning of that um, here, uh, not just with Buffy, but with her lineage. And confirming that Spike has been stalking vampire slayers, not just Buffy, but he's been stalking vampire slayers since he was sired. Absolutely. Uh, So we are back at the bronze, back in the present day, and Spike, he's summarizing what we've just seen. He says, after that, I was obsessed. To most vampires, the Slayer is an object of cold, sweat, fright, and whispers. But I never hid. Hell, I sought her out. If you're looking for fun, there's death, there's glory, there's sought all else, right? I was young. And he, he, sound, he sounds proud and he's like reminiscing. He's like, those were the days. 
Um, and so Buffy, of course, we've noted before, she's impatient. She's like, yeah, but how did you kill her? And so he says, funny you should ask. So he grabs Buffy from behind because they're at the pool table. Buffy reaches for a pool cue. And Spike says, the, here's the lesson the first. Uh, a slayer must always reach for her weapon. Then he vamps out and says, I've already got mine. And then he goes back to his normal face. He lets go over and he says, good thing too. Become a vampire. You've got nothing to fear. Nothing but one girl. That's you, honey. Back then, it was her. Oh, and he's talking about a Chinese slayer. We are in China, 1900, during the Boxer Rebellion. Uh, this Chinese slayer, they don't give her a name in the episode, but she's got a GN sword and she's got awesome moves. And I'll add that um, this woman is played by Ming Chu, who is a wushu performer and stunt woman. And she's been a stunt woman in many shows. What is wushu? Wushu is basically martial arts. And that's what it means. So this woman in real life is a performer of this. So where Spike is fighting this slayer is in a temple somewhere in China. Um, I don't know why they had to make it during the Boxer Rebellion. I think it just sounded cool to Joss Whedon. Um, because like, really, they're in a temple. They're not outside in the streets. Um, but for anyone who doesn't know what the Boxer Rebellion is, it was basically an officially supported peasant uprising between 1899 and 1901. Basically, the uprising was to remove foreign imperialism in China. Anyway, there's just a little a little information because I thought it was interesting that it, it's the Boxer Rebellion specifically. I was trying to figure out why he might want to do that because they call them boxers because in English because many of the members of this society had practiced Chinese martial arts, but not wushu, as I said. It was referred to as Chinese boxing, like a type of fighting. So I was wondering if maybe the Slayer was going to have that type of fighting because that just happens to be when Spike finds her. But the type of, sh of fighting that she's doing is your traditional Chinese martial arts. History with Steph. <laughs> History with me. Thank just, you. Thank you for all of that. Oh, no worries. <laughs> I just thought it, it's up to me <laughs> to bring that Chinese. This, we're, we're in China. I got I to gotta step it up. Right? <laughs> um, I, so, yeah, I, I think he picked it because it makes sense in the timeline. Right? Spike is freshly sired at this point. He's only been a vampire for you know, about 20 years, I guess. Um, we already knew that his, the first Slayer he slew was, the first Slayer he slew <laughs> uh, was Chinese. And I think the Boxer Rebellion is an interesting time period to set it because of, like you said, the uprising, the violence that was going on, the chaos, the mayhem, that would have been a good draw for Spike and mm -hmm. Angelus and Darla and... Uh, Drusilla, and that would have been a good kind of um, cover if you want to go in and commit a little bit of murder. Very true. So uh, Spike is taunting the Slayer as they fight. Um, she loses her sword at one point, her, her GM, and they're fighting hand-to-hand -hand at that point, and she's about to stake him, but then there's an explosion outside that knocks her over. So they're fighting for a bit longer. Spike ends up getting the upper hand. She reaches for her fallen weapon, and that's when he grabs her from behind, just like he grabbed Buffy from behind at the pool table just now, and he bites her. And as he pulls back, she's about to die, and she says to him in Mandarin, tell my mother I'm sorry. And I, I don't I don't speak Mandarin. I speak very little of it from when I lived there. But when she said Dubachi, I was like, sorry. <laughs> like that's what that's what it means. Mm. Um so Spike says, sorry, love, I don't speak Chinese. 
and he throws her dead body to the floor and then he says fella could get used to this <sighs> so, so please tell me more about this stuff this is this is the first chinese woman i believe that we've seen on the show um obviously we've seen the korean actress from season three uh <laughs> i think that's it um the, on one hand i really love that we got a little taste of this history here that like, Hey, Spike's well traveled as are the other vampires. And we already knew that he had killed a Chinese slayer during the box of rebellion. I think he said that in episode one that he was in. I do like that. They've casted a Chinese martial artist to come and do this really awesome fight scene and, and show off her talents, but it is very hard to watch. It's hard to watch Spike. It's hard to watch this white British man murder a teenage Chinese girl, you know, like that's hard to see. And also, as I mentioned earlier, Spike's obsession with slayers, we can definitely see that as predatory, right? He sought her out to come and kill her. And I don't think it's out of line to say that there's a lot of parallels here to real life. White men who fetishize and sexualize Asian women and fly all the way to Asian countries to have sex with them. Or to abuse them I mean, even just online right like it's a whole category of porn and stuff and yeah um yeah. and then uh, often on something i saw a lot when i was living in china unfortunately um the white men from western countries that come to china to japan to any of these countries uh vietnam thailand they are there for the women and then they take the women home if the woman is is if she's ready to have children with him They'll say yes because, hey, rich white men, and they'll go home with them and become their wife. Oh, it's disgusting. But it's incredibly common. So am I saying that that's what this this show is showing us? No. But I do want to bring the parallel in there because Spike sought her out. He came to China. Well, we don't know why they came to China, but we know he was seeking out Slayers. He wanted to. Well, it's also problematic because once again this is one of the few examples of racial diversity in the show if the show were more race racially diverse in general then this would be less problematic it would still be problematic for reasons you've pointed out with the, the fetish and stuff but like this would feel less significant of like oh this is our our only chinese character on the show and it's like well yeah um you know the the fact that Joss Whedon is bringing in that diversity, but then it's depicted in this particular way. It's so noticeable. It's just like, come on, dude. The bar is on the floor. The bar is on the floor. <laughs> yeah, it is. So, yeah. So, again, I want to point out, like, hey, very cool fight scene. She did really well. It was really nice to see this. But at the same time, it was hard to watch. So um, he's staring it down at the dead Slayer. Drusilla comes in, right? She's like, look at this wonderful mess you made. And um, he comes to her and he says, I've heard them say the blood of the Slayer is a powerful aphrodisiac. She, you know, she sucks his fingers because they're covered in this Slayer's blood. And they both get really turned on. And they have sex next to this dead girl's body. <laughs> So much blood play, and I'm not here to yuck anybody's yum, but I'm just like not into it. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's cut to outside because Spike and Drew are now drunk off Slayer blood and sex, and uh, Angelus and Darla are there, and Drusilla's bragging, right? She says, little Spike killed himself a Slayer. And we get a shot of Angelus's face, and he is looking pensive at this news. He's like, 
ugh. And you might see that as jealousy. Um, I wonder if you have to go watch the Angel episode to find out what's really going on here. But I was going to ask if we were going to bring that up, so thank you. <laughs> I'm good, well, I will say that, but I will say we know from our own history of watching this show that Angel got his soul in 1898. That's when he was cursed. So one could assume that actually Angel has his soul here. And what's he doing hanging out with these three? Don't know. But I think arguably we know that he's not jealous of Spike. He's actually like disgusted that she that he killed this girl. So Spike says, "Okay, well, you know, hey, don't don't feel bad. I heard that once one falls, another one gets chosen. So I'll give you the first crack at the next one, kind of thing." And Angelus is like, "Let's get out of here. This rebellion is starting to bore me." And Darla has been staring intently at Angel while this is happening. So I really think I will go watch that Angel episode because, like, interesting. And then my last question to you, Kara. Do you think this is where is where Angel learned how to do Tai Chi? <laughs> I surely hope so. I mean, maybe, right? I, we don't know how yeah. long they've been in China. Um, you know, it's been, like you said, a couple of years since he got his soul. He's, he's sticking around, tagging along, trying to, trying to be evil. And maybe Tai Chi was his way of drowning out the voices, the guilt. Ooh, I love it. We know that Angel supports all Asian women. But my question is, when did he learn charcuterie? Ooh, um, definitely between the years of 1997 and when we saw this. So, like, literally that was his first try and he nailed it. <laughs> so, um... One quick shot in slow motion of the Fantastic Four, just walking through the Boxer Rebellion. Spike is swaggering, right? He's like, he's like jumping on things. He's like really, really, he's established himself now. He's like, look at me. I killed a Slayer. I'm a man. I'm one of the most powerful vampires out there. (laughs) So back to present day, Spike says, that was the best night of my life. And I've had some sweet ones. And Buffy's rightly disgusted by this. She says, you've gone off on it. And Spike says, I suppose you're telling me you don't. How many of my kind do you reckon you've done? So Spike is on team hungry and horny after slaying, right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And Buffy responds to his question by saying, not enough. And Spike says, "Mm mm-hmm. We just keep coming. You can kill a hundred, a thousand, a thousand, thousand in the armies of hell besides and all we need is for one of us, just one, sooner or later, to have the thing we're all hoping for. And that would be what, Buffy says, one good day. I love this dialogue. Mm -hmm. And Buffy, you know, like physically pushes him, pushes him back. And he says, the problem with you, Summers, is you got it so good, you're starting to think you're immortal. And Buffy says, not really. I just know I can handle myself. Spike says, then how do you explain this? And he pokes her in her wound. (laughs) No. Um, And so she shouts in pain. And because he's caused her pain, it triggers the chip. (laughs) So he shouts in pain. Um, And I love that you wrote down this observation in your notes because I thought this as well. Like, they're in the middle of the bronze. And people are looking over and it's like, what's, what do they think is going on? Like, is she having a fight with her boyfriend? Like, is nobody going to step in and intervene? No one steps in because she shoves them at one point. That's when people first start looking up. And then they literally <sighs> both are like, oh, and everyone's just like, weird. <laughs> it's just Buffy Summers and that Spike guy again. 
You know they're together, right? She used to be with that Riley guy, but we don't see him around much anymore. Oh, she's drinking illegally. So Buffy says, that's it? Lesson over? And Spike says, not even close. Come on. Uh, and he leaves, so she has to follow. Let's finish up Riley's story in this episode. <laughs> Riley goes to the cemetery alone, right? And he enters the crypt alone. And the vampire's in there with his book club bragging about how he staked Buffy. And R- Riley says, you know what they put in museums? Mostly dead things. And he, <laughs> the vampire charges at him and Riley actually dodges this guy's fight and he ends up getting the stake from him and staking the vampire. And I was like, okay, nice. And then the other vampires start to come for him, but Riley pulls a pin in a grenade that he just happens to have and he throws it down. Where did he get the grenade from is my question. Like that, it's not military surplus. He's like, Graham, Graham, I need, just leave me three grenades. <laughs> so, um... Yeah, Riley runs out of the crypt and it explodes behind him, killing all those vampires. He's just showing off at this point. So this is like willful destruction of property, right? Like, how are the police not showing up with somebody just used a grenade in a mausoleum? (laughs) Well, perhaps the police, you know, they just have an understanding that what happens in the cemetery stays in the cemetery. Like, they don't go. (laughs) There's something that happening there. That is a uh, very good point. <laughs> but hey. They're like, that crazy blonde chick is out there again. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about Riley for just a hot second. I don't want to spend a lot of time on him. Um, I gave him a pass this episode. That's good enough. But what I'm thinking <sighs> is when Riley isn't drinking by himself at Willie's bar, even though Willie's not there anymore, I guess he's starting to partake in riskier behavior. Obviously, he didn't want to wait for the gang because they're, they're not going to help him. He just went and took care of business on his own. Definitely not good and he's probably not gonna tell buffy about it obviously lies yeah this is why i object to to riley in this episode it's this scene in particular it really bothered me not only because of the gratuitous use of you know property destroying grenades that he shouldn't have but the fact that he decides well i'm gonna lie i'm gonna tell them we're coming back in the morning and i'm gonna take care of this by myself because i'm mr macho man and i'm capable of doing anything the slayer can do Um, But like you said, it's risky behavior. And Riley seems convinced that Buffy doesn't love him. So he's engaging in kind of this self-destructive behavior. I think this is self-harm. I think it's bad for him as a person. It's unhealthy. It's also very unhealthy for his relationship with Buffy. I don't know if he's trying to sabotage his relationship with Buffy at this point. But, you know, I just I'm just like. Like, I I do, if there's anybody I sympathize for in this episode, I sympathize for Riley here Mm -hmm. because he's clearly going through stuff and he doesn't feel like he can talk about it with Buffy in any meaningful way. So when I said, like, oh, I don't like Riley in this episode, you know, part of it is just uh, Riley slander. (laughs) But also, like, I feel sorry for him here because this this is the the action of a man who is not well. Yeah. And I completely agree with you on that. A hundred percent. But I think also the reason why I was I don't not I wouldn't go as far as to say that I was rooting for him. Uh, we've been saying since the first episode of the season, Riley, get a life, Riley. Like you can't just be, be all about Buffy. And then you know we were mad that he was feeling emasculated in his own head, right? That he feels like Buffy's stronger than him, and he doesn't like that. So when he's doing this risky behavior. And he goes to the graveyard by himself and he destroys the mausoleum, sure, but all of these vampires without anyone's help. A part of me is like, you know what, though? Like he is, he did do it, right? He did it well. 
he did destroy and kill these vampires. We wouldn't blink an eye if Angel had gone and done that, right? So um, I don't know. It's it's hard for me in this one. I just in this one I feel like Buffy doesn't want him to patrol alone anymore. So proving to himself that he still can. Part of me is like that's okay, but I totally hear what you're saying about the risk that's involved with that and the meaning behind it based on his character development this season, right? It's not for good reasons and he's going to lie about it. He's not going to tell the truth and that's bad. Yeah, overall for for what he did in this episode, I was like, I don't know, like he pulled that off really easily. Like it looked like he can handle himself. (laughs) So I'd be curious to hear what other people think about that, but um, that's the last time we see in this episode. So bye, Riley. (laughs) I guess we'll see you at Willie's Bar later. So... Um, in the alley outside the bronze, uh, Buffy says, give it to me. And Spike starts to fight her. But then he says, uh, lesson the second, ask the right questions. You want to know how I beat them? The question isn't how I win. The question is why they lose. Buffy says, what's the difference? How did you kill the second one? And Spike says, a bit like this. And he throws some punches at her, which she dodges easily. And she says, that didn't hurt. He says, I know I can't touch you. If there's no intent to hurt, then my, the chip in my brain doesn't go off. When has that been the rule? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, he vamps out. He lunges at her, but he backs up in pain. And he says, that hurt. And Buffy says, yeah, this hurt too. And she punches him. He's on the ground. She says, how'd you kill them, Spike? And they tussle a bit more. And Buffy ends up on top of him with her stake. And he says, you're not ready to know. She says, I'm ready. And he says, okay, then a bit like this. And he kicks her off him. And then we enter the coolest scene in this episode. Agreed. Because it's not Buffy who rolls off them. It is the next Slayer, the second Slayer that he kills. And the next scene is going to flash between Spike's retelling of how he kills the second Slayer and how he's retelling it to Buffy in the alleyway. So so we don't know the, the, this Slayer's name at this point. We're going to learn this Slayer's na- name later in the series. We won't tell you how. Um, but I think it's fine if we just say her name's Nikki. Her name's Nikki. She's a beautiful black slayer. We see that Spike was fighting her in New York City in 1977. It's such a cool sequence because they're on a subway train and the subway train is moving and she looks kick-ass. She's got her afro and she's got this long black jacket and she looks so cool. Spike does not look cool. (laughs) Well, like, describe him, Kara. How does Spike look? So Spike now has his signature peroxide hair, um, which is the least objectionable thing. Uh, he he went really all in on the eyeliner, <laughs> but I think it's like he's so he's got this like sleeveless vest look going on, and then just really ripped ripped jeans, and he's very like skinny. You know, he's clearly trying to go for, like, the punk aesthetic. And this is not me criticizing punk or criticizing, you know, any dudes who want to dress this way. But, like, I, I think it's jarring for me, right? Because now so we've seen 1880s William. We've seen modern-day contemporary Spike. But this kind of in-between version where he's trying to figure himself... He looks like an awkward, gawky teenager Spike <laughs> to me. <laughs> That's what I've seen. He's not pulling it off is what you're saying. <laughs> Not yet, no. He hasn't He hasn't fully come into this version of himself yet. Yeah, but I will say it's such a stark difference from seeing him here the way we saw him when he killed the Chinese Slayer. True. Right? So there's a, I mean, it's been 77 years since that happened. So clearly Spike has been deconstructing his human self. I love the way you put that. Yeah, because, I mean, just look at where we met him. <laughs> Effulgent. <laughs> <laughs> to how he is in this scene. It's very, it's a very stark contrast. So we um, cut between 
Spike explaining what's happening to Buffy and they're kind of like half-assed doing the fight to his actual fight with Nikki. Spike is telling Buffy that the first Slayer was all business. The second, she had a touch of your style. They fight and it's a good fight. They're fighting in the subway. And then at one point, she even like breaks his head through one of the windows. And when he's outside and the wind is hitting his face from the tunnel, he says, he's like screams because um, life. I don't know, because of the high he gets from his second Slayer battle. I don't know. Because um, <laughs> he might lose, right? That's yeah. what he was telling Angelus all those years ago was, you know, it's the thrill of knowing you might lose. Yeah, he's getting off on this is what it's basically. So Spike says to Buffy that um, she was cunning, resourceful. Oh, and did I mention hot? I could have danced all night with that one. And Buffy says, you think we're dancing? And Spike says, that's all we've ever done. Yeah, I'll have more to say about that later but um, please do <laughs> but we're fighting on the subway we're fighting you car and i keep fighting on the subway right next to spike and nikki um we can hear spike's narration as the fight goes on and he says funny thing about the dance you never get to stop and spike in the subway breaks the pole off he's really strong i guess he just breaks this metal pole off and he he's using it the way he's using the pool cue in our in the alleyway and he knocks this uh, Nikki to the ground and he says, death is on the is on your heels, baby. And sooner or later, it's going to catch up to you. And part of you wants it not only to stop the fear and uncertainty, but because you're just a little bit in love with it. So Nikki has Spike on the ground at the subway. She's straddling him. But then I guess the subway goes through a darker tunnel. <laughs> Okay, it's not a train outside, but whatever. Somebody from New York explained the lighting to us. Does it flip on and off like this? Does it give vampires an edge? <laughs> so the scene. So when the lights come back on, it's Spike who's straddling her. So he confused her in the dark. He says, "Death is your art. You make it with your hands, day after day." The final gasp, that look of peace. Part of you is desperate to know what's it like. Where does it lead you? Now you see that's the secret. Not the punches you can throw or the kicks you can land. You merely wanted it. Every Slayer has a death wish. So Spike has been saying this in the subway while looking up at Buffy in the future. You know what I mean? Like, it's so interesting how they chose. Yes, that's what I love about the shots here. It's really, really cool. And then he, oh my God, breaks Nikki's neck. (laughs) I'm sorry, Steph. I was like, I forgot he did that. I thought he was going to bite her again. I was like, no, no. And he says, even you to Buffy, right? So, oh, okay. So there's the second Slayer that Spike murders, um, this time a black Slayer. And he's doing this while explaining to Buffy that death is your wish. You You have a death wish. And I don't, like, do we think that's true, right? Does every Slayer have a death wish? I think on one hand, it's way too early in the season to really come down on what what this means. But that's why this episode's so good is because it's really setting up a lot of stuff that's going to come down the pipeline. But what I'll say about this right now is that you could look at it on two sides that, yeah, it might appear that way because for the last five episodes, Buffy has been honing her slayer skills she senses some sort of darkness some sort of power in her that she doesn't understand and she called it herself hunting right that's not patrolling i'm hunting i'm seeking out danger i'm seeking out a way to kill my mortal enemies in some ways you could see that as a death wish yet we've already talked about how spike's a manipulator spike is a trickster spike is an unreliable narrator right so when he is talking about (laughs) 
Buffy having a death wish, he could be looking at her Slayer ability and her Slayer destiny from just a very dark, twisted side, which is Spike. You know, so we're again, we're really early in this conversation. This is going to continue on. But that's kind of how I saw him saying this. I was like, Spike, you're kind of twisting up. You're making this really (laughs) dark when maybe it doesn't have to be. Yeah, I agree with you for the most part. I, I think strictly speaking, I think Spike is correct. But I agree with you that he is reading it in the darkest possible way. What he says here really resonates. I think he there is a truth to what he's saying, which is, and we talked about this earlier in our recap, the only way out of slaying for Buffy is to die, right? Like, she is the slayer for life. And when you think about that, and you think about, you know, the average human lifespan, how long can Buffy keep this up? At some point, she even with her slayer strength and ability, she is going to age. Slayers don't retire. Right. And and that's what we're seeing here is she escaped those first few early years of slaying where most of them are killed. Right. She is one of the longest living slayers, which is very fascinating. So she escaped that. Now she's entering this new phase of her life and her her life as the slayer where um, she's having to make up the rules now because she doesn't have that knowledge of, you know, there weren't any other slayers like her. But at the same time, it's like, it must be very depressing to understand that you will lose a fight at some point, right? Spike says earlier, there's just always going to be more vampires. There will always be more evil coming. There's no way for Buffy to get out of this alive. I mean, that's true for all of us, (laughs) Um, but for her in particular. So yeah, you're right. He is looking at it in kind of the, the most cynical, depressing way, but that doesn't make it inaccurate yeah you know and i think buffy's recognizing that in her bones right now and that's what makes this scene and the episode in general so chilling is spike is one of those villains who in this moment he's devastating buffy with the truth he's not lying to her he's not misleading her everything he says here is true And that is what makes it cut so deep because Buffy is realizing now in all of her research of these past slayers, you know, and and like you said, trying to connect more with this idea of hunting and stuff. Buffy is realizing that as much as she wants to embrace being the slayer and embrace her destiny, the end of that road has to be darkness. And that must be profoundly disturbing. And I can't like this. This season is... I can already tell, like, we're in episode seven. Uh, we got a long way to go. It's brilliant in the way it's setting up these conversations, right? The fact that being a slayer means darkness, but can it also mean light, right? Can there be good things that come from what Buffy's abilities are and what her destiny is? I guess we're going to find out. But I agree, Spike is not lying. He just has a very specific view of it because he's a soulless vampire. So Spike on the subway gets up, um, he hits the emergency brake, but before he leaves, he takes the coat off of Nikki's body, and we realize, oh my god, it's the same coat that we've been watching, that we've seen him in since day one. And that's the first time I realized, I was like, oh, so that the, the scar on Spike's face, because he's always had a scar above his eyebrow, is from the Chinese Slayer, who I wish we had got a name. <laughs> you know, I wish she had a name. I'm sure she does in, like, fandom, but in the episode, they don't give it. And then he has this coat 
from Nikki. So with every one of these Slayer murders, he collects a trinket of some kind. Well, I think the scar was unintentional, but uh, yes, I see what you're saying. But he carries her around with him every day. That's a great point, yeah. So Spike tells Buffy in the alleyway that the only reason you've lasted as long as you have is because you have ties to the world, your mom, brat kid sister, Scoobies. They all tie you here, but you're just putting off the inevitable. Sooner or later, you're going to want it. The second, the second that that happens, you know I'll be there. I'll slip in. Have myself a real good day. So let's remember what he just said there, okay? I don't know when, I don't know how, but eventually this quote I'll be bringing up again, the fact that he's telling Buffy that you long for death and when you do, that's when I'll be there. So I remember Buffy versus Dracula, Kara, I brought up Faith because we were, again, this season, we've talked so much about darkness and something about being the slayer is connected to the darkness that ties her with vampires and with the underworld. And I brought up Faith then because maybe (laughs) we should be more sympathetic to why Faith was so easily swayed by that darkness. And you brought up earlier, like Spike's really leading into the hungry and horny aspect of (laughs) what happens with this kind of power. So I see that with Faith, right? Like Faith embraced that. But what Spike is saying here is that you haven't embraced it yet because you're actually surrounded by people that love you and things that tie you to your humanity. What's your friends? That's Giles. Which we've been saying this whole series. Spike, get on the bus because we've already <laughs> been going down this road. Stop listening to our podcast, Spike. <laughs> I don't want you to listen to our podcast. <laughs> but like, isn't that so interesting? Because uh, it, the show is through Spike is saying what we've all been saying forever, right? They're actually being very meta about this. Like, this is why you're exceptional. This is why you haven't either gone down a dark path or died yet. It's because you have been saved from the darkness for a lot longer. You have these people around you. You're not isolated. Faith was isolated. You're not. Something else to continue thinking about. But Spike says, here endeth the lesson. And then he says, I, I just wonder if you'll like it as much as she did. And Buffy says, get out of my sight, Spike, now. Because obviously she's like, she's like, fuck off. And Spike says, oh, did I scare you? You're the slayer. Do something about it. Hit me. Come on. One good swing. You know you want to. Give it to me good, Buffy. I mean it. And he leans in to kiss her. <laughs> He's like, he reads the room wrong once again. He, he leans in to kiss her. She backs away in disgust, says, what the hell are you doing? Um, he grabs her and he says, come on, I can feel it, Slayer. You know you want to dance. And Buffy says, say it's true. Say I do want to. She shoves him so hard that he falls to the ground and she's looking down on him. And she says, it wouldn't be you, Spike. It would never be you. She throws her pile of cash on him. And then she says, you're beneath me. And she walks away. She walks away and Spike starts crying like he gets upset and he starts whimpering as he collects the money and then we watch this like really amazing performance by jade's marsters where his tears turn to rage very quickly and it's something to behold really like to see him go through those emotions very well acted very effective perhaps too effective because again Kara, do you feel sympathy for him here i do not (laughs) me either Again, I see where you could because he's selling it. Like it's he does such a good job of 
oh my god, like, Buffy just said you're beneath me. It's parallel to what Cecily told him. And at the end of the day, all he is is this, like, very insecure man who really just wants the woman of his dreams to want him back and she never seems to i am so tired of tv and movies and music and all sorts of media telling men and boys that if she doesn't love you back it's her problem so that's i mean again we've already went over this with cecily so when buffy does it we certainly don't feel bad for him but i'm just trying to get into the headspace of people who are like Poor Spike. Buffy's so mean to him. <laughs> it's always Buffy. It's be- it's because it's supposed to be romantic that he loves her, right? Like he's attracted to her and he wants... And I don't think we're, we're, we're not really... We haven't really seen a lot of that yet. So I assume more of it's coming. But we're supposed to see him as this tragic figure who's caught between being evil and soulless, but also loving his enemy, right? It's enemies to lovers, which I am aware is a very effective romance trope. And I want to say that Buffy was very smart in this episode, right? Like, know your enemy. So she's literally going to the best source for learning about how Slayers died. Spike is giving her a good education here. Like, he's given her valuable intel. I just, I, I, I have such a hard time, especially with what happens next. Yeah. And, like, let's just remember, everybody, like, yeah, it's, it's, hey, Cecily was mean to him, sure. Could Buffy be being mean to him? No! He just described in detail how he murdered her predecessors, liked it, got off on it, had sex on one of their bodies, stole from the other one, and he basically told Buffy the same thing. I can't wait to watch you die, and then he tries to kiss her. So, of course, she pushes him away. Of course, she's disgusted. It's such... It... Like, we've already given so many props for the acting, so I, I won't belabor that point. Because it's, it's such an awkward scene. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to, like, that's rare, right? Like, usually, kissing is romantic in, on TV. Um, so for them to play it as, like, this this is this is a kissing scene that you would get in real life, where you go in to kiss somebody, and then they're like, no, no, do not. Um, and they play it so well. And, like, I'm feeling that awkwardness as I'm watching it. I'm like, oh, man, this is super awkward. And it, But it's not it's not sympathy for Spike. It's more of, like, I don't want to be watching this. Like, I feel awkward knowing that this happened. <laughs> Bruh, this is really awkward. Yeah, my last point about this is just, like, that, again, they're, they're comparing Cecily to Buffy here and what Spike experiences from the rejection from both of them. But... Are we to believe that, like, Spike is still holding on to this rejection all these years later? Like, that was the one. That was the one that makes him the way he is. It's foundational trauma, right? I think it's one of those things where it's like, well, he thought he moved on, but everything he's done has just been to distance himself and and put up these walls. You know, he never did go to therapy. (laughs) It's true. And his obsession with Buffy um, and obsession with beating the Slayers, right? Like, could this all just be because he just wants to prove Cecily wrong? Like, I don't know. So... We cut to Spike opening his chest in his crypt. Harmony is like, Spike, what are you doing? He says, beneath me. I'll show her. Put her six bloody feet beneath me. And he takes out a shotgun. And he's loading the gun. And he says, um, she she doesn't have a death wish. 
bitch won't need one. So there's the word. Uh. Harmony is saying, okay, I'm trying to be supportive here, so don't drive a stake through my heart like last time, because let's forget. <laughs> Call back. <laughs> Call back to season four. Um, she says, but you can't kill Buffy. She's the slayer. She's going to kick your ass. And Spike says, I have two barrels here that'll prove you wrong. Okay, just just a moment. Just, just a moment of harmony appreciation, please. Oh my god. Like, yeah, she's she is fucking standing up to Spike while he's in a violent mood. Speaking of abusive relationships, right? You know, your your abuser comes back triggered by something that another woman said and you're kind of like triggered by something a woman over a hundred years ago did. Right. And, and like Harmony could have just made herself scarce, but it's really brave what she's doing right now. Um, you know, I just giggled about it, but because it's just because she's so adorable. But like this is really brave of her because she is right. He did stake her last time she criticized him for being obsessed with killing the Slayer. Um, we've kind of come full circle from when he and Harmony got together in season four. And now it's, well, you're back on killing the Slayer kick. Okay. And notice how she's not henpecking him, right? This is not, oh, how dare you be obsessed with Buffy again? This is like, she's worried and I think that's very interesting. Um, and I just wanted to make sure that we pointed that out. No, great point. Because, hey, why are we always out here giving credit for Spike for caring without his soul? Where here's Harmony caring for this man without her soul. You know, like she's also here being like, she's going to fucking kick your ass and you're going to be dead. And that's not good, you know? Well, I, I also think that she probably thinks that if... Buffy kills Spike, then who's going to protect Harmony from Buffy? <laughs> so there is that self-interest in there. But also, yeah, for sure, because she's still a vampire. It's it's not, you know, healthy. But also, like, Sp Harmony, Spike can't protect you from shit because he <laughs> can't fight humans. Anyway, Harmony put, brings up a good point. She says, the second you point that thing at her, you're going to be all like, ah! <laughs> and then you'll get bitch slapped up and down Main Street until she's had enough or she just stakes you. Spike says it'll hurt like hell for about two hours and he aggressively grabs Harmony by the hair and again Harmony flinches and this always makes me uncomfortable and he says she'll be dead just a little longer than that and he shoves her out of his way so she yells at, at him as he leaves saying fine but don't come crying to me when you fail you couldn't kill her before you were you had the chip and you had plenty of chances <laughs> nice harmony exactly the last flashback we get is to south america in 1998 spike and drusilla are arguing because remember at the end of season two spike took drusilla to stay away from buffy and drusilla is basically harping on spike saying that you can't kill the slayer and he's like you're the one that keeps bringing her up i haven't said a word about the bloody slayer since we left california she's on the other side of the planet and Drusilla says you're lying i can still see her floating all around you laughing why won't you push her away and spike says i did it for you you keep pushing me carrying on with creatures like this and it's because they're standing in front of this <laughs> What I can only assume is the chaos demon. He's right. he's tall and he's got these giant antlers and slime. How does he get through doors? <laughs> slime is just dripping off his antlers onto his shirt. But the best. So <laughs> I have to ask Steph: Is yeah. that sexy? No. <laughs> 
his hey no actually let me rephrase his height is sexy <laughs> his oh. build would you like to would you like to climb that mountain <laughs> but it's too slippery for me <laughs> it's just slimy <laughs> but um i will say like his physique is fine but what i love about this chaos demon is his fucking personality because he's like okay you guys obviously have a thing going on here and <laughs> <laughs> and Drusilla's sake, like you, ha- I have to find my pleasure, Spike. You taste like ashes, and Spike's like, so this is my fault now. And the chaos demon is like, I, I didn't know she was seeing anybody. I, I should take off. <laughs> he just like leaves. Oh, dude, I hope he hooks up with Harmony. Like they'd be perfect for each other. <laughs> It's such a good little like joke. It's a good thing to put in here for sure. Um, Drusilla says, "You can't blame a girl, Spike. You're all co- you're all covered with her. I look at you, all I see is the Slayer." So this is a really quick scene. I forgot this happened, but I want to say shenanigans. I'm calling shenanigans because they're indicating here that perhaps Spike was obsessed with Buffy. We knew, sorry, we knew Spike was obsessed with Buffy before he came to Sunnydale as the Slayer. But here we have Drew suggesting that Spike was obsessed with her in this maybe he loves her way before Lover's Walk, before season three, when Spike comes back because Drew dumps him for this chaos demon. So in that episode, he had said that Drew wasn't happy with the alliance with Buffy, right? That Spike had gone soft. So at no point are we to believe that Spike had romantic feelings for Buffy at all in that episode. And none in season four, except for maybe like toward the end. So I just, I call shenanigans. I think that this is them coming back and writing this in because it's convenient. Yeah. That's entirely possible. I mean, if we if we wanted to try to make it work, you know, I could see us being generous and saying, like, all she's saying here is that he's obsessed with her, right? But he can't kill her, and why not? And maybe it's not a romantic or sexual obsession yet at this point. We have to remember Drusilla seems to have precognitive abilities, right? She can see things coming before they actually happen. So maybe when she says, like, I can see her all over you, I can see you know, her and your aura, she's actually seeing echoes of the future. And Spike hasn't caught up, fallen for Buffy yet. Yeah. Yeah, it's possible. Uh, if we're being generous, yes. <laughs> so now we're back home at Buffy's house and she walks into her mom's room without knocking, right? Which, I mean, the door was open, but also like your mom could be doing anything with pot <laughs> anything. in there, Buffy. Anything. <laughs> ben Candy, Giles. <laughs> Spike. Well, we know we know she's not with Spike tonight. Not um, tonight. <laughs> so Joyce is packing. She's packing a bag. I don't know if she's like trying to like fly to another country to do a dirty art deal. I don't know. Uh, and Buffy's like, where, "Where? What's going on, Mom? Where are you going?" And Joyce says, "Oh, it's nothing. You know, well, not really nothing." She's like, "The nothing might not be nothing." <laughs> and she says, "I'm staying overnight at the hospital for observation. I'm getting a CAT scan. It's only one night." They say, you know, even if there is something, it's still very early. And if they didn't see it before, I'm going to be fine. And you can see Buffy is struggling with this information. She she takes it in and she says, I, I know you will. And they smile at each other in that kind of unsure way of like, we, we're just going to agree to believe this lie together, even though neither one of us believes it. Mm-hmm. Buffy leaves. And we follow her out to the back porch where she sits on her stoop and she starts to cry. She puts her head down in her hands and she is crying. And it broke my heart. <laughs> like, 
Yeah. It broke my heart. Because yeah. we're, we're seeing, you know, the weight of what Buffy's going through. And, and without going in, into details, because I don't really want to talk about it, I went through something similar several years ago where my dad was experiencing quite an acute illness. And, and there's a lot of weight on you as a child when you realize, especially when your parents are, you know, younger. My, my dad w wasn't quite as young as Joyce, but like, it's tough, right? And I, I know you know this struggle too, Steph. It's like, there's more responsibility on you in the household, but then it's also just like, you have these moments where you, you, you can't be strong anymore. You can't keep it together. Yeah, it's yeah. very real. And Buffy's feeling it and uh, we feel it with her. I'm glad the show is is making time to acknowledge this too. Yeah. So this is when Spike arrives. He steps into the backyard. He's got his gun. There's some very, very tense music going on. He walks toward her, stops in front of her, cocks the gun. Buffy looks up and all she says, because remembers death, he is beneath her. She says, what do you want now? And there's tears streaming down her face and Spike confronted with this version of the Slayer that he did not expect, doesn't know what to do. And so he lowers the gun. He says, what's wrong? And Buffy looks away from him and says, I don't want to talk about it. So he stares at her and says, is there something I can do? Buffy doesn't really reply. So <laughs> he comes around. He puts the gun down. He sits next to her. He, he props the gun against the steps. And then he, like, gingerly reaches over and just, he's like, they're there. Like, pats her on the back, uh, which she allows him to do. Uh, and then he doesn't touch her. He just kind of sits next to her. And they're sitting in silence. And that is the end of the episode. Do you like this, Ed Dig? I don't know. I ha If I, I have to be honest here, because I thought about how am I going to talk about this <laughs> when we get here. I'm like, what am I going to say here? Because... The episode is trying so hard to make us approve of what Spike is doing in this moment, right? He came there to kill her, but look, he's, you know, the toothless animal now, and he's actually consoling her, and it's sweet, and it's touching because she's hurting because her mom is sick. But all, all I can hear going through my head is the Margaret Atwood quote, right? And, and this is, you know, women are afraid that men are going to murder them, she laughed at him and his response is to try to murder her and even though she's still laughing in a sense right she doesn't you know she she's she can see the gun she's a little distracted clearly but she can see the gun she doesn't think he's a threat but i i, I can't i'm like is spike getting a redemption arc here like we went from him being the the cool hard antagonist to being this kind of weird frenemy in season four are they laundering Spike's reputation here? And I'm I'm just I'm so conflicted, Steph. Help me. What do you think? No, I'm I'm right there with you. I have said from the start, Spike's complicated and this is a complicated scene. Do I think it's do people will see the scene as romantic? It's not. I don't. Like you said, he's he's coming here to blow her brains out. <laughs> like he's he's here to kill her. I'm actually super surprised that Buffy didn't react to him holding the gun, right? To just be like the fuck, <laughs> you know what I mean? But I will say for the scene because it is oddly moving, right? Like it is like again, it might just be the performance itself. I'm not sure uh, of both of them. It does move me, and I think that's because it's a momentous scene for pushing Buffy and Spike's 
alliance forward. I don't want to call mm. it a relationship. I don't want to call it a friendship. Um, I do think they're still enemies, but frenemies, perhaps, at this point. But, I, I mean, it's right there. Buffy is consenting to Spike sitting with her. He, he pats her on the back. He doesn't hug her or anything. He doesn't try to kiss her again. But she is consenting to him sitting with her quietly. And again, she doesn't see her friends in this episode. It's just her and Spike for the most part. I don't think that means nothing. I think that plays into the fact that this is a momentous moment for both of these characters. And the only way that I can see it is that something is growing between them. It's not romantic. It better not be romantic just based on Spike's attitudes toward her this episode. But perhaps it's respectful. Buffy might be developing more respect for Spike just based on his twisted and dark understanding of what she's going through as a slayer. I think that is probably part of it. And then on Spike's end, again, like you're saying, like, are they giving him this redemption story? Do we want to see that for him? I can't lie and say it's not interesting because it is. I, like, it, it's hard. It's just very complicated. It's just complicated. Yeah. Thank you for saying those things. I think it's really helping me parse what I'm feeling here. Because I do think there is value in exploring the potential for redemption for Spike. And I think part of what I dislike so much about the rhetoric that we see in the fandom, it does lack nuance, right? You've got people who are so pro-Spike that any time anybody criticizes him or his actions or this alliance, I like that <laughs> word, with Buffy... Um, they just shout you down, right? They don't want to hear the criticism. But also, like, you do have people on the other side who are just so anti-Spike that I don't, I don't want us to lose the fact that, yeah, there is, there is an interesting story to be told here. Mm -hmm. And I think what's making me uncomfortable as I watch this, and I've heard this from other listeners who have written into us and been like, oh, I used to be so pro-Spike when I was younger and it was, he was hot and I was into him and now I'm watching this, you know, when I'm older and people our age and stuff, and they're like, oh, yeah, this is bad. Mm. It makes me uncomfortable because, as I've said several times now in this episode, as the show tries to redeem Spike, it's not even the fact that he's not having to, like, pay for it, right? It's not even that I need him to be punished or I need him to, like, make amends, although that would be nice. I mean, Angel had to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yep. But, but it's the fact that the show is skipping a step. It's showing us Spike was wounded. He was hurt by a woman. You know, she made fun of him. And therefore, he became evil for, you know, 120 years. And now we have another woman making fun of him and not giving him what he wants, which is sex with her. Mm. And now he's deciding to be nice to her. And I'm like, well, where in this equation did you ever sit Spike down and say, hey, dude, You've just spent 120 years being super toxic masculinity guy. Maybe you need to think about that and learn and change as a person. Does he do that later on in the series? I don't know yet. We'll find out. We haven't got there. But I haven't seen anything in this episode or in the past few episodes to show that Spike has done any work to dismantle that toxic masculinity that he has been showing up until this point. And that's what bothers me. Well, and perhaps that's what they're trying to do with this one scene, right? We watched him seek out, stalk, fight, and murder two other slayers in the history of Spike being a vampire. And then here he was going to go do the same. I'm going to 
go stalk, murder Buffy, but then he chooses not to. He chooses to, to console her instead. So I don't like that because, like you're saying, right, excuse right. you. Because and I, I, I'm getting angry here, and I want to be clear: I'm not angry <laughs> oh, no. at you, Steph. We're getting mad. Um, <laughs> but abusers can be nice yes. to their victims. Yes, right. Like that is yes. the whole character trait that makes abusers so incredibly harmful and awful. Is it's not like they're terrible people to their victims a hundred percent of the time. It's they are openly terrible a certain percentage of a time. And then the rest of the time, they may even be nice and supportive people. And they may pretend to be supportive and say the right things and do the right things. And they might even, you know, do the dishes or make you a cup of tea or buy you nice gifts. And partly that's because there's a part of them that knows that they're broken and is feeling bad and, and is, is telling themselves, oh, I'm never going to do that again to you. But it's also because they've learned. They've learned to to put on that sheep's clothing to cloak themselves in the niceness, right? And there's a difference between being nice and being kind. And I think some people read Spike as being kind in this scene. And I, I can't I can't say they're wrong for sure, right? We are we can disagree with our interpretation. I'm reading Spike as trying to be nice. And to me, it does not cancel out the fact that he, ultimately he is an abusive personality and it bothers me. Ted Bundy had a full-time girlfriend. <laughs> like, you know, like, <sighs> I, I, I think for me, and like I, I'm, I'm with you on everything you just said there. I'm right there with you. Why it's complicated and why I don't like this and why I'm upset is because I just I we just love Buffy so much and Buffy's going through a hard time mm-hmm. right now. Buffy's vulnerable. Her mother's going to the hospital right now. So she's crying on the porch. She's vulnerable. Spike shows her a little kindness. She lets him sit with her. And I don't want Buffy to get mixed up with Spike. I don't want Buffy to be pulled into the darkness the way Spike has been talking about all night. (laughs) Don't do it, show! (laughs) I feel like this show is getting, I mean... I guess we're going to find out. Oh, and like, Kara, I foresee messiness ahead. <laughs> I, I think you're right. Who's your hero, Steph? Story. I didn't pick one. It was hard. I didn't pick one. Who did you like? I don't know. I think it's obvious. Is My it hero is <laughs> I mean, you're not far off. I, I thought about I honest I did yeah. think about it. I thought about right I thought about Dawn, right? Recovering for Buffy. Good yeah. little sister. I thought of Riley. Um, <laughs> my heroes are Giles and Joyce, Buffy's two real parents. Giles, obviously, because he's supporting Buffy in her struggle. I don't know if she told him that she went to see Spike. Like, I don't know if she divulged those plans to him. I kind of feel like she would. She would have. Yeah, she definitely would have. You know, and he, I I like the fact that we didn't have a conversation where he's like, are you sure you should go talk to Spike? You know, it could be dangerous. It could be a bad idea. He trusts her. He trusts her. He knows that she's going to do what's best for her. And he lets her go. And I love that for Giles and Buffy. Um, and, and then Joyce is just, she's trying to be so strong right now, right? She's trying to be there for her girls. Um, so shout out. Shout out, Joyce. Shout out, Christine Sutherland. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're a real one. And we love you, Stoner Joyce. <laughs> Great choices. Amazing. I will also do a shout out, a hero's shout out to the word effulgent. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by the word effulgent. (laughs) 
And the number two. And the number for the two, two slayers he killed. <laughs> oh. Oh, yeah. Shout out to the slayers that died. Oh. Okay. Want to do hot steaks? Let's do hot steaks. The first one's from Kaylin, who wrote in uh, for this episode, and she says, this is a very early hot steak from season five. Um, she must have sent it in a long time ago. <laughs> I'm assuming that's why it started So, that yeah, way. she actually tweeted us earlier this week, because she, yeah. you know, she's keeping track of the recording schedule. She's like, oh, it's time for my hot steak. I hope you still have it. So I sent a little screenshot of the, the first row in our spreadsheet here, be like, oh, yeah, you're locked and loaded. So we got you. Uh, for anybody who's sending us, uh, you know, hot steaks, if they are like a whole season or so ahead, we will try our best to keep it handy. Sometimes we were going to lose them. So please feel free to remind us as we get closer to your episode and we can try to find it. Um, but we did have it, Kaylin. It was in our spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, just, yeah. Um, Kaylin says, uh, I was so excited to get to Spike's backstory because it's hilarious and sad. But then with this rewatch, I realized, oh, Spike only killed non-white slayers. It's another one of those moments where Joss Whedon feels like he can play act as being at being progressive. Oh, look, I hired actors of color. But then immediately does something to, like kill them off. Oof. I had never noticed it before, and I got so angry. Yep. <laughs> yep. We, we, I mean, yes. we, we talked about that, so I don't have anything to add. But thank you for yeah. writing in about that, Kaylin. And it's uncomfortable. And I think we should continue bringing this up. <sighs> then we have Athena. And they also note the, the issue, the graphic scene involving violence towards a black woman, as they say. Um, and... and ask us to think twice about who this scene entertains um but athena wants to talk to us about punk history and aesthetics so thank you because you know i did knock spike's look earlier and i'm willing to to learn more about that so they say Spike taking Nikki Wood's coat after killing her was probably just written for dramatic effect, but all I could see was the way many white people partake in punk subculture and aesthetics by violently appropriating from black American culture. Wait, 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 Athena, are you telling me that punk is appropriation of black culture? Because I, I don't believe that's possible. Are you? I, that would be like saying... That a lot of popular music genres these days <laughs> are just appropriation of, of black culture and that, you know, rock and roll came from the blues and rap and hip hop origin. Uh oh, uh oh, oh, I see what's happening. Okay, you're absolutely right. <laughs> so shocked yeah. that yet another subculture happens to have appropriate for black people. <laughs> oh, dear. All right. Well, sorry. Let's get, carry on. Athena says, punk identities are inextricable from someone's personal politics and philosophies. Hating anti-Semitists and racists in general is ideally like our whole thing. But it seems like every week, white people who refuse to be angry about the actual power structures that exist uh, impose white supremacy and the misplaced violence that comes with it. Quite frankly, uh, a white Brit defeating and keeping, uh, taking a keepsake from Nikki Woods or any black woman is antithetical to the founding punk values and yet so representative of what ends up happening in the community anyway. Uh, from a Buffy fan perspective, it may be sad that Spike, the punk rock vampire icon, is made to be so likable for his edge and style, but is one of the most annoying types of punk out there. 
the type we're constantly trying and often failing to correct and gatekeep. It made me even more sad that we don't get more of Nikki. She deserved so much better, and her character could have been ten times more likable than any of the men, and blowing us out of the water if the writers let her. Sigh. Ah, oh, yeah. So, um, there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, I can't remember if we brought it up before, if any of our listeners brought it up before, but you commented, Steph, on uh, the change in Spike's language after he'd been sired. You know, he's he's talking, or or Angelus actually points it out, right? So he's talking, yeah. he's using... <laughs> Angelus did it for us. <laughs> <laughs> Your boyfriend. Oh, he's <laughs> he got would. you. Uh, Angelus is pointing out that like Spike is using more kind of working class English language and and his accent is changing as well so as you said spike is deconstructing his identity he's no longer posh william you know he's tough and and he's serious and he's counterculture and and it doesn't strike me as surprising that he embraces punk when punk arises in the 20th century but um athena thank you for sharing your perspective on that because i have very little knowledge of the punk movement so i really appreciate that you clarified that Unfortunately, uh, Spike is not the kind of punk you should aspire to be. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. I like that both these hot stakes were about race, right? And the way it's depicted in this episode. Um, Obviously, I had more to say about the Chinese Slayer. I don't think we went into as much detail with Nikki because I think we knew that we had these hot stakes coming up and we have plenty more to talk about her moving forward. But yeah, thank you for these hot stakes and keep them coming. Um... We love talking about this stuff, even though some people on the internet do not. Bonus (laughs) hot steak from Steph. Tell us about the white boy gang, Steph. (laughs) Kara, I got attacked by a Sunnydale white boy gang. That's the only way that I could ever describe it. Um, It's not. okay. no. So um, I posted a TikTok this week about Sinea, the first layer from the episode Restless. I sat on it. Usually when I do my TikToks, I do them around the same, like the, the episode that we're on that week, right? I could try to coincide them. Um, not always, but usually. But I waited on this one because I just knew, I just knew that whenever you, <laughs> whenever I post something about Buffy and race, oof, like you should have seen the comments I got on when I did Income Mummy Girl. But anyway, I just knew and I, I ended up doing it this week and <laughs> the white boy gang that came for me. Um, we say that because the main people, uh, I would say 99% of the people that came to the comments to tell me to shut up, you are a white bitch. A lot of them called me uh, Gen Z, which I was like, ooh, Cara, they think I'm young. They think I'm a, a I, I mean, youthful. I am always envious of how glowing your skin is. So, <laughs> But yeah, the amount of the 99% of people that did that were white men. And yeah, the, the things that they, the way that they want to say that Sinead is not racist. The way they want to fight. This is the most any white men have cared about a black woman on TV in forever. Right? And it's in defense of the way she's portrayed in that episode. And I just wanted to share. Sometimes Carr and I like to share the adventures we have on social media with commentators. But I wanted to share this and say thank you because I know a lot of our listeners have come from TikTok. They found us on there and you've come on over and you listen to us every week. And I want to say thank you to you because I know like as much as I like to point out the 
obscene amount of people that say weird things to Kara and I on social. There is more. There are more people who support and defend us and like our content and send supportive messages to say, forget that person. We love you guys. We think what you're doing is great. We agree. And I think that's always great to point out. Yeah. Steph, Steph and I have conversations about like, well, how much are we going to talk about this on social media or on the podcast? And I never want to feed the trolls because that's how you get more trolls, right? Like it, it, people love when we push back on their comments and like give them more of a platform. But one of the things you pointed out, Steph, which I think you're absolutely right, is the white boy gangs are not listening to our podcast, right? So <laughs> we can talk about it here and it, they're not going to know that we're giving them the attention that they want. And you're absolutely right. Like we love those of our listeners and commenters who participate in good faith with us, who, you know, stick up for us when we talk about racism. Um, you know, I loved I'm not going to read anybody's name in case they do listen to the podcast, but. <laughs> Um, I loved some of your rebuttals, Steph, where like one white guy was like, get a grip. It's years old, which come on, dude, like you can you can look up how old Buffy is for one thing. Yeah. Um, and Steph, you replied, please let me know what year you think racism started mattering. <laughs> and I died. I died at that point. Uh, you're talking to the ghost of Kara. Just curious. <laughs> was right? it this year? <laughs> was it last year? When was it? I, I think yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah. Um, and then what was the more recent one where the guy was like, uh, it was a different time. Does it age well? But that's the way the world was. Get over it. Which, first of all, rude. Like, don't tell us what to do. You're not a real dad. Um, and you said, oh, thanks. Whatever something racist happens from now on, instead of pointing it out, I'll minimize it because it doesn't impact your life. <laughs> But that's why oh it's God. so, it's just, we have to share them sometimes. These are just ridiculous things that people get mad about, you know, like in defense of something that's so clear, so clearly wrong. They're like, it was too long ago for you to care about. Like, how dare you, Gen Z? You must be a kid. And it's like, yo, like what you're saying is public. You realize that. They got their real names in their profile. They really think they're untouchable, right? Yeah, they do. Like it's, their faces are there, their full well, names. I could find out where now, they live. Now <laughs> you have two women laughing at you on the internet, guys. So We better watch our backs. If this episode taught us anything, we better watch our backs. Okay, well, that was fun. But yeah, again, hey, TikTok is really fun, everybody. <laughs> you should get on it. Um, but we, we appreciate the support, again, from our lovely listeners, from our friends, our Buffy fans. We're here to critique a show that we all love. And everybody who listens to us gets that. And it's really nice that we have this community, a safe space in a community. The internet is not a safe space. We all know that. But here at Prophecy Girls, it is. So... Thanks for the support. Except for the white boy gangs. Except for the <laughs> white boy gangs that frequent the streets here. Um, and also thanks, Kara, because you're always a sounding board for when I'm getting overwhelmed. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, especially to those of you who think we deserve money and support us on Buy Me a Coffee, <laughs> including our chosen ones, Lizzie, Holly, Kayla, Brady, Jordan, Lena, Julian, Nicola, and Luis. Emma, Taza, Kyle, Destiny, Erica, Allison, Jace, Haley, and Tasha. Whew, this is a long one, but a good one. Thanks for sticking around, everyone. See you next week. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you want and can't afford to donate, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options. We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week. We also invite you to join us in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook prophecy underscore girls on twitter also email us at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website prophecygirls.ca where you can find the link to our discord can't wait to hear from you praise malik see you next week